Very good morning to you. It's great to see you all here this morning. Visiting, you're very, very welcome. If you're not new or visiting, you're very welcome. Um, but if you are new or visiting, you're especially welcome. My name's Neil. Uh, I am married to Kate, and um, together we attempt to lead this church. Yeah, it is. Yeah, good attempt. Thank you. You're very kind. Um, last week, I think it was last week, or was it? I, I don't know, actually. Sometime in the past few days, uh, saw the beginning of Lent. And uh, Lent is traditionally uh, those 40 days from Ash Wednesday through to Maundy Thursday, where Jesus is, um, is fasts for 40 days. He's led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. And it really marks the beginning of his public ministry. And as we said a couple of weeks ago, if you were here a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, as well as, you know, being a traditional period of fasting, Lent is also a kind of journey. You know, in much the same way, Advent, we're very familiar with Advent. Advent is this journey towards the first coming of Christ, and indeed, actually, um, looking ahead to his second coming. So, too, uh, Lent is a journey towards Easter. It's a journey towards uh, the cross. It's a journey towards the hope of the resurrection that comes uh, beyond. And so over the next few Sundays, we're going to be journeying together through Lent and towards Easter and towards uh, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, as we journey through the scriptures, one of the things that you notice if you're reading the scriptures as you're journeying through the scriptures is that we come across themes of justice all of the time. Uh, and as you know, if you've been around here for any uh, length of time, we've been doing a series on justice uh, since I think we started back after lockdown in, in September. And that really is our focus, and uh, we're giving our attention to that. Um, and so as we journey through Lent, we want to do the same thing. And so over the next few Sundays, we're going to be looking at several of these uh, threads of justice running through uh, the scriptures. And we're going to be doing that by drawing from uh, and following alongside the Archbishop of Canterbury's uh, book for Lent um, this year, which is called Embracing Justice. It's by someone called Isabel Hamley. I think some of you are reading that. Some of you are doing that, I think, in your small groups. Uh, and what we're going to do is together we're going to look at some of the themes that come up in that book, starting uh, this morning uh, with justice in the creation accounts from Genesis, and then we'll take a look at justice as freedom from Exodus, uh, then we'll look at justice as a community, you know, from some of those weird Old Testament laws like um, uh, Sabbath and sabbatical and, and jubilee, which actually, it turns out, aren't that weird after all. Uh, we'll look at justice as being incarnational from the Gospels. We'll look at justice as reshaping power uh, in the shape of the cross, uh, and then justice in the light of the resurrection. Um, we may run out. Uh, we may run out over a little bit beyond. I don't think there's that many weeks in Lent actually, but we'll work it out. Um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, all of these things together, as we look at it over the next however many weeks it is, they'll weave together this kind of tapestry. That's the, that's the plan. Uh, it, 
a tapestry, if you like, that will kind of show us how God, and demonstrate how God longs to work with humanity to bring justice and wholeness and salvation to individuals, to communities, and indeed to the whole uh, world. And so this morning, we are going to start at the very beginning, which when we're looking at themes of justice, seems like a very good place to start. Um, so if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, I know it's really, really familiar, but I just think it's really good for us to read great swathes of the scriptures. So this is Genesis uh, chapter 1. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without shape and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. But the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, so God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning, marking the first day. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. It was so. God called the expanse sky. There was evening and there was morning a second day. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. It was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered water he called seas. God saw that it was good. God said, let the land produce vegetation, plants yielding seed, and trees on the land bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. It was so. The land produced vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a third day. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be signs to indicate seasons and days and years and let them serve as lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. It was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night. He made the stars also. God placed the lights in the expanse of the sky to shine on the earth, to preside over the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a fourth day. God said, let the, the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. God created the great sea creatures and every living and moving thing with which the waters swarmed according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the water in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, cattle, creeping things, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the cattle according to their kinds, and all the creatures that creep along the ground according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea, 
and the birds over the air, of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the entire earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the animals of the earth and to every bird of the air and to all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has living breath in it, I give every green plant for food. It was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your presence here with us this morning. We ask that your spirit would come and you would uh, unpack the scriptures to us. That your spirit would come, open the eyes of our hearts to the things that you are wanting to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. If we're wanting to explore the nature of justice that's kind of reflected through the narrative arc of the scriptures, which is what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, we really do need to start at the very beginning and go back to the story of creation because justice is anchored uh, in the very fabric of creation. And far from being sort of some bolt-on, you know, that comes sort of further down the track, these creation narratives fundamentally, I believe, reflect God's heart for justice and reveal that the unchanging, deep nature of God, of who God is, is that God is a God of justice. And there's something in these early chapters of Genesis, and yeah, they're really, really familiar. They're terribly familiar. They're probably overly familiar and so on. But there's something in here that tells us far more than a story of how the world came into being. These creation accounts are telling us something really profound about who we are. They're telling us um, about who we're meant to be. They're telling us who God is, what God is like. And more than that, they're telling us how we, how we fit. You know, it's like a little jigsaw puzzle, how we all fit together, how we're to relate, how we're to relate to God, how we're to relate to ourselves how we're to relate to one another, how we're to relate to the whole world in which we find ourselves. And in short, they really lay the very foundations of everything else that is uh, to come and all that's to unfold from this point on. In essence, uh, these creation accounts, they bring uh, meaning. They give life meaning even as life itself is coming into being. And the picture that's painted here in Genesis 1 is of this marvelously creative creator God who brings order to the, the formless, empty darkness and declares everything that has been made as good. And in fact, in, in verse 31, uh, God sees all that he has made and sees that it is very good. But... Um, just as these creation accounts you know, can bring us life and, and, and explain all these sorts of things about how we fit and how we relate to one another and how we relate to God and the world in which we find ourselves, uh, like anything, they can also really easily 
uh, and really ha easily have been, distorted and dishonored, and wielded not so much as a vision of God's goodness and grace, as a vision of God's kindness and compassion, but as a, uh, or as a celebration of God's um, diversity and difference of, of unity and not uniformity, they can, and as I say, they have indeed, they've been wielded as a means, um, tragically, of oppression, of judgment, and separation. And so these very same accounts that you read in these opening chapters of Genesis that hopefully we will see, I believe, reflect the heart of God for justice right from the very outset, right from the get-go. These same accounts have been used uh, to oppress and silence entire groups of people throughout history, whether it's been through um, race-based slavery or um, claims of women's inferiority and a whole host of other things beside. And so before we can kind of move on into the weeks ahead and explore other strands of justice expressed and articulated through the scriptures, we really need to, to lay and be sure of our foundations. So let's take a look. Uh, verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness. Verse 27, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. Now, uh, in the ancient Near East, there, there were a whole host of stories. There are a whole host of stories about creation and the beginning of the world knocking around. And, and they were all sort of different, but they all had similar themes and similar strands. And one of the things that they, most of them, if not all of them, had in common was this idea that there always had to be like one individual, um, one special person. And it was pretty much always, if not entirely always, a man, um, of course. Uh, but it was, it was always a king or an equivalent, you know, an emperor or whatever, um, who was said to be and was described as made in the image of God. And this individual, they were always very special, they were divine, almost divine, and, and they were considered effectively to be the only humans made in the image of God. And everyone else, the rest of us, well, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. The rest of us are just kind of normal, for want of a better word. Um, when I say normal, what I mean is, let's just say, not uh, anywhere near divine, um, certainly not made in the image of God. And then along comes Genesis into these kind of creation narratives and creation accounts. And all of a sudden, in like stark contrast to any of the other accounts of the time, Genesis comes along and says, no, 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 hold on, sorry. Um, yeah, I like all those narratives and they're kind of similar. And we've got things that overlap and all that kind of stuff. But the difference is all human beings, all of humanity, every single last person is made in the image of God, all of them, you know, and in the Hebrew, uh, uh, being a Hebrew scholar, um, that word all means, um, means all, interestingly. Um, and it, it's not just, you know, not just the king, not just the emperor, not just some high-ranking individual, you know, people of status, but all people. And perhaps most shocking of all, in what was like a seriously patriarchal culture, uh, you can't get away from that fact that that's 
what was going on at the time. It's not just the men, it's all. And by definition, that includes women. Yeah. <laughs> Brace. And so here we are, we're seeing the foundations of the earth being set in place. And what we're seeing are foundations of justice being laid. And the justice being expressed here, right on the very first page of the Bible, is that there is no value difference, no value difference whatsoever between human beings. Whoever we are, we are made in the image of God. Uniquely precious, with infinite dignity and worth. And what's intriguing about the way the scriptures um, effectively, is, is, they're effectively challenging the cultural um, philosophy of the time. And, and what's interesting about it is that Genesis doesn't sort of tear down the kings or the emperors or the rulers. It doesn't drag them down into, no, 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 you're not made in the image of God. You're, you're rank and file. You're just normal like everybody else. It doesn't do that at all. Uh, Genesis isn't saying, you know, the kings, the emperors, the rulers or whatever, they're, they're nothing special. What Genesis does, instead of bringing down the, the kings and the rulers, what Genesis does is, is, is it elevates. It, it, it raises, rises, raises, rises. It brings everybody else up. <laughs> it's a complicated word. It brings everybody else up. Brings up everybody else, even. And Genesis does nothing, effectively, that devalues humanity. What Genesis does is it affirms the inherent beauty of human beings and their likeness to God, all human beings. And in so doing, what it means is that no human being has a greater claim than any other. Their equality is absolute. And so just as we're seeing the foundations of the earth being set in place, so too we're seeing the foundations of justice being set in place. And the justice being expressed here is this foundational equality that exists between the whole of humanity in its entirety. Verse 26, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And according to um, Isabel Hamley in her book, she's saying that the use of the language of male and female um, is like a, a way of embracing the whole of humanity. Uh, it's like a, a literary device, a literary form. And what it's doing is it's, it's stressing both the completeness of what it says and the unity of humanity across its differences. Does that make sense? So what she's saying is, especially around the time that it was written, when the world is, is marked by these really hierarchical divisions, um, it was a world of slaves and masters, it was a world of victors and conquered, it was a world uh, defined by patriarchy. This idea is, is revolutionary. The sad fact, however, is that I'm not entirely sure how much society has changed. We're still riddled with hierarchical uh, divisions. And I'm pretty sure that we haven't got our heads around uh, the basic premise 
outlined in Genesis 1, that we are all made in the image of God. And so perhaps uh, even today, if we take time to actually digest what this is saying, perhaps Genesis 1 remains as challenging and as subversive as it did way back then. And again, as Isabel Hamrini writes, um, perhaps the depth and extent of that challenge can be seen through the way that many cultures throughout the years have tried to redefine it and or ignore it uh, or propose sort of reinterpretations that diminish the strength of this idea that we're made in the image of God. And so, for example, despite the proclamation of radical equality that we're seeing, I think, clearly articulated here in Genesis 1, um, women have been considered for centuries, even to this day, um, inferior. In many cultures and many contexts that claim to have Christianity and the Hebrew scriptures as the basis of their faith. Uh, people of color have been treated in unimaginable ways, again, even to this very day, that deny their essential equality, dignity, and worth. And it continues to happen even on our watch. And, and the church still struggles to treat women equally. The church still struggles to treat those who are black, Asian, minority, ethnic equally. And we're now doing exactly the same, in my humble opinion, to the LGBTQIA community. Even though on the very first page of scripture, it says pretty explicitly that God created humankind in his image. And I don't know, it's a bit like we have, we've morphed ourselves into some Orwellian world. It's like we've all become Napoleon from Animal Farm, you know, who changes the final rule of all animals are equal to all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. God created humankind in his own image, but some of us, because it will always be some of us, are more valuable than others. Some of us are more acceptable than others. Some of us, just fill in the blank. There's something um, incredible about our seemingly infinite capacity for self-deception and selective interpretation when it comes to the scriptures. Um, Genesis declares that all humanity is made in God's image, full stop. And the fact that this is embedded right at the outset in the story of creation when the world was declared good, you know, everything that God had made was declared very good, suggests that equality and justice, that they're not merely, you know, just like some aspiration. They're like a foundational baseline, treating every other human being as made in the image of God and therefore fundamentally worthy of respect, dignity, and equality is the very, very minimum. It's the starting point in all of our human relationships. 
And this uh, foundational and fundamental baseline is then threaded through any other talk of justice uh, from the scriptures. And so we can't really speak of justice unless it's anchored in the very nature of God revealed in creation. And again, as Isabel Hamley suggests, we cannot speak of justice unless we engage seriously with the fact that every single human being, however objectionable, however unpleasant, however strange, however offensive, however uncomfortable or different they may be or appear to be, Every single one is made in the image of God. Every single human being, regardless of age, physical characteristics, abilities, choices, personalities, beliefs, contributions, gender, dare I say it, sexual orientation, gender identity, race, religion, creed, and on and on and on, is made in the image of God. And so, as this is the starting place of the scriptures. Surely this has to be our starting place. Surely this has to be our foundation for any ongoing conversation about justice, that every single one of us, and perhaps of equal importance, uh, every single person we come across, every single person we encounter, every single person we hear being spoken of, who may seem and appear to us to be unbelievably different to us that all of us have been made in the image of God. And the reason that this matters, the reason that this, I believe, is right here on the opening pages of the Scriptures is because it fundamentally changes everything. Like, it's a serious game changer. From uh, the way that we see God to the way that we see ourselves and very importantly to the way that we see others and one another, um, in whatever way that that might make us feel anxious or insecure or threatened or intimidated or whatever it may be, all the way through to the way in which we see the world in which we live, seeing everything and everyone, first and foremost, as made in the image of God changes everything. And not only will that transform the way that we interact with one another, it also transforms the way that we think about justice uh, that goes way beyond us thinking about justice like as a commodity, you know, as if justice were just about things like economics or meeting needs. It, it, it changes things so that we see justice as uh, first, we see, when we see people as first and foremost made in the image of God, justice becomes about things like dignity and worth and freedom and respect and recognition and empowerment and participation and decision-making and bodily and intellectual integrity. And the rest of Scripture really just reflects that sense of infinite worth, the infinite worth of the human person made in the image of God, and how this understanding really needs to be the starting place for every conversation, every dialogue, every interaction, every representation. It needs to be at the heart of every relationship. So that when I see you, whoever you may be, however unlike me you may be, however much you may not like me, or this is impossible, but however much I may not like you, above all else, above everything else, 
above all of our difference or our perceived difference, the very first thing I see when I am in relationship with you is first and foremost a unique and precious child of God made in the image of God. And everything else, everything else comes out of that fundamental and foundational place of honor and respect. Because when I see you first and foremost as made in the image of God, and I see our similarities first and not our differences, then we can have a really interesting, very curious discussion and conversation about how you are and why you are and what does that look like and what does that feel like. Verse 26, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness. Verse 27, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so my invitation to you, uh, perhaps this week, perhaps over the coming weeks, is that we should take some time to invite the Spirit of God uh, into our ways of seeing the other into our ways of seeing one another. Um, have, you ever, have you ever been to the opticians and had your eyes tested? You know, and they put that kind of, um, I don't know if they still do it, it's been ages, but you know, that clunky thing over your eyes, you know, that frame thing. And, um, and then they, they whack in those lenses and they twiddle them and, and they flip them around and go, better, worse, better, worse, you know, which one better, worse? They cover one eye and... They flip lenses so that we can see more clearly. This week, as we encounter one another, let's ask the Spirit of God to be that frame over our eyes, over our ways of seeing, um, so that in his goodness and grace, he will just, the Spirit of God will just keep fiddling with the lenses until we actually start seeing straight, that we actually start seeing clearly. This week, my invitation to you, to all of us, to me, is before anything else let's see every other person that we meet every other person we encounter every other person we hear about here being talked about first and foremost is made in the image of god and as we do that let's celebrate them let's celebrate the fact that these other, the other, the person in front of us is made in the image of God. And let's celebrate that shared moment of encounter as together we enjoy uh, our shared dignity and our shared humanity. And the commonality that we share in that we are both made in the image of God. Why don't you stand?